show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and it's gone right to my head. Wherever I may roam, on land or sea or foam, you can always hear me sing this song. Show me the way to go home. Hello. And welcome to the virtual pub for some drinks trivia and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim and I am joined, actually not in the virtual pub, in the flesh, stop touching me, by my <laughs> drinking buddy, Leary. Hello. Hiya, how are Hi. you? I'm good, how are you? Grand. What, what, are, we, uh, what are we serving today? Uh, it's called Sav, um, from the Sav Winery, and it's a sparkling wine made with birch sap yes mm. today we are going to be talking sap sap sappy sappy things and you've never tasted this before no i have had a bottle of this previously but mm. saved this one especially for this occasion when you came to visit so we could do this and talk about sap together Yay. so cheers cheers mm. oh that's nice yeah yeah it's like your brain wants to go, that's Prosecco, but it's not. It's more cider than Prosecco. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Sort of halfway between the two. Interesting. Mm. Um, should we get into it then? Shall I start talking about... Well, let me tell you a bit about Sav, what we're, we're drinking, first of all, before I get into the rest of Birch. Mm-hmm. So, um, this winery, as you say, is in northern Sweden. Um, it's a sparkling wine made from Birch Sap. So, every year when winter kind of passes and spring arrives the ground thaws and that's when birch sap rises in the trees um, and that means that they can start tapping it for sap um, they say it's carefully harvested through uh, small holes that they drill into the tree trunk the sap is pasteurized stored in containers um, and the birch trees are not harmed in the harvesting process so it's a sustainable practice that they have the forest remains healthy and strong year after year. Um, it's all organic. The birch wine is organic and vegan. Um, and they make it without sulfites. So sometimes, you know, when you get wine with sulfites, people don't react very well to it. They can, it can worsen hangover, hangover headaches and things like that. Mm -hmm. So in theory, we should be all fine and dandy uh, <laughs> the morning after a night on this. Um, I'm not quite sure how that theory will pan out, but we, we might test it to its limit. You know what we're like. We're going to finish this bottle and then drink God knows what else. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just open another or something else. Mm. Um, they make it with what they call the method suédoise. So a Swedish method. Or mm -hmm. half and half, if we were half to half. talk about half. it in the Welsh way. Half rice, half chips. Half rice, half chips. Um, so what that means is that before the first fermentation in the tank is finished, they add yeast and sugar and move um, the birch wine to a bottle for it to become bubbly. Um, in order for that to make sense as to why that's a half and half as opposed to just any other method, I will tell you about the two other methods that it's halfway between. Okay. So one is method traditionnel. Mm -hmm. um, and that one's quite labour intensive. Uh, the wine undergoes its secondary fermentation inside the bottle, which creates the bubbles. Um, it begins with the addition of what's called a liqueur de terrage, which is really just a, a wine solution of sugar and yeast, mm -hmm. um, to the bottle that has the wine as a base. 
and that triggers the secondary fermentation, which makes it all sparkly and lovely. Um, and the yeast cells then, they collect in the neck of the bottle during the riddling process, which is when you kind of turn it as it's, as it's doing its secondary fermentation. And then the lees, that's kind of yeasty plug, as it were. Oh, the lees are disgorged what? from the bottle and then it's replaced with a solution of wine and sugar, giving the sparkling wine its sweetness. So that's how they do that. That's um, champagne and high quality uh, sparkling wine is made using that traditional process. The method ancestral is the other one. And that's, um, that goes back to a region in southwestern France called Limoux uh, in 1531. And it was a method used by monks. And what they did was um, uh, they bottled the wine partway through its primary fermentation to trap the carbon dioxide inside the bottle. Um, so it has more of a gentle carbonation. So they're not doing that sort of, it's fermented once and then adding stuff and fermenting again. It's just bottled partway through its first fermentation. Mm -hmm. um, so wines that are made using that ancestral method are sold as unfiltered. So they can be a bit cloudy with some sediment at the bottom of the bottle. Um, and so what drinkers like to do sometimes, we wouldn't think to shake a sparkling wine, but that is what they do um, to kind of put it all together. But I think because it's not quite as fizzy, mm. it doesn't really explode in the same manner. But some people just like to kind of pour it carefully and leave the sediment in the bottle like you would do some for some beers, for example. Yeah. Um, and you can recognise if it's a method ancestral because instead of having like the champagne cork, they have a crown cap on the top, so like a beer bottle cap. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where you would find that. Um, when they undergo just the primary fermentation in the ancestral method, it means they're slightly lower in alcohol, so usually around 11%. And uh, the alcohol content's lower in that because it doesn't go through the secondary fermentation process to raise the alcohol content. And the wines often have some sweetness as well from the residual sugar that hasn't completely fermented. Um, so it has kind of like this very fresh, fruity, very fruity flavours. Mm -hmm. So there we go. Method Suédoise is halfway in between that because it doesn't quite finish the first fermentation, but they do also add some yeast and sugar. Um, other things you could do with birch sap. There oh. is a line of spirits called Freya spirits. So we're still in Sweden. Freya is the Norse goddess of love and life. So kind of very much ties it to that um, that spring harvest and those Nordic roots. Mm -hmm. And they make a kind of a straight up birch spirit. And they also make one that is wood smoked. Um, and that has sort of a bit of, it has, they call it sacred smoke, apple for love, birch for fertility and chestnut for strength. Um, but it looks rather nice. And they also have a birch gin that mm -hmm. they make. Freya, oh, I bet if you want to nice. look that up. Yeah, exactly. I kind of want to try all of those. Mm -hmm. They look quite pretty. There's also a whiskey that you can get as well, a Swedish birch um, whiskey. Uh, this is Mac Myra, who created Björksav, uh, which is partially matured in casks that were saturated with the Swedish birch sap wine. And that means that you get a whiskey with this kind of floral twist with some spiciness. Um, and that vanillin, but you would get vanilla caramel as well. Mm -hmm. um, birch beer 
is a thing as well. Okay. But it's not a beer. Right. <laughs> so, yes, exactly. Um, so there, there are a few different types of birch beer that's actually made from the birch bark, not the sap. Ah. So I'm slightly breaking my own rules of uh, this episode, but I thought, wait, where else am I going to talk about it? Um, so the, the colour will depend on the species of birch tree from which they extract the birch oil through the bark. Um, but it would be kind of brown or red, blue even, or clear. Um, so after the bark is collected, they make it into oil. It's added to a carbonated drink to give it a distinctive flavour, which is really kind of reminiscent of wintergreen, which is a familiar that's uh, a flavour that's more familiar in the US, wintergreen, but it is kind of like that slightly piney taste, sappy taste, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more like a, uh, it's kind of more like a root beer type of thing as opposed to an alcoholic beer. Okay. Carbonated drink flavoured with with wintergreen birch. Mm. Um, However, alcoholic birch beer, in which the birch sap is fermented, has been known from the 17th century. There is a recipe I found from 1676. If you want to make your own, because it's not particularly available, then Mm. you can follow these instructions. Hotel. To every gallon whereof, add a pound of refined sugar and boil it about a quarter or half an hour. Then set it to cool and add a very little yeast to it. And it will ferment and thereby purge itself from that little dross the liquor and sugar can yield. Like the word dross. Then put it in a barrel and add thereto a small proportion of cinnamon and mace bruised, about half an ounce of both to ten gallons. Then stop it very close and about a month after, bottle it. And in a few days, you'll have a most delicate, brisk wine of a flavour like unto Rhenish. Its spirits are so volatile that they are apt to break the bottles, unless placed in a refrigeratory. And when poured out, it gives a white head in the glass. This liquor is not of long duration, unless preserved very cool. Ale brewed of this juice or sap is esteemed very wholesome. Sounds like a bit of a faff. <laughs> it does. I think it's, you know, it's just a sort of... Sp- Spiced, spicy beer thing, but that has some carbonation, so watch out in case it explodes, I think is the message yeah. of that. Um, there are more soft drinks from the Birch family. There's one just called Sap! Exclamation mark. That was me sapping. <laughs> that was some sap being released in my flat. Um, <laughs> so these ones actually come from Vermont in the US. Uh, rather than in Scandinavia, where we were. Um, so they've got um, they've got birch and they've got maple saps that they used in their soft drinks. Now I'm going to talk about maple in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the the maple sap the price of maple sap is set by Canada largely because they have such huge reserves of it, and I've got a story about that later on as well which creates a bit of uncertainty for the producers in the US and Vermont. They're never quite sure kind of like how it's how it's going to go. It makes it difficult for them to manage their their business, especially with kind of, you know, climate change and the unpredictability of the weather. So what they thought was if we create a new stable industry in the maple market in Vermont, then it would help kind of those producers of the of the maple sap, maple syrup. So it's helped to stabilize the price there in Vermont. It supports regenerative farming as well. It's very good for you. It has zero sugars. Um, so you can get their maple soda or maple seltzer. 
And they reportedly have all sorts of health benefits as well, um, sap drinks. So lots of electrolytes and antioxidants and vitamins and minerals and really good stuff all in all. Um, they've got a couple of different flavors. Well, there's the straight up maple and birch. You could get cranberry and goji. You can get tangerine and chamomile or strawberry and habanero, very which bougie, sounds yeah. very tempting indeed. Mm. On the sort of, you know, I mentioned it's a bit like having a root beer so I thought I would also talk a little bit about sarsaparilla. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, this is, um, a, you know, a root beer, it's a soft drink. It's known in Spanish as zazaparilla, which is, which comes from the words uh, zaza meaning bramble and parilla meaning little grapevine. Mm. Um, so there's a, there's a trailing vine with prickly stems that's native to Mexico and Central America called the smilax ornata. And that's what they would traditionally use to make sarsaparilla from. So that's where the the bramble vine reference comes from. Um, But sarsaparilla was very popular as well in the United States in the 19th century and also throughout Prohibition as well, for obvious reasons. Um, And they don't actually make it from the sarsaparilla plants. So US sarsaparilla is not sarsaparilla. Bloody marketing. (laughs) It's a myth-busting, bloody marketing. Um... So it was originally uh, made from, the US version was originally made from a blend of birch oil and sassafras, which is the dried root bark of the sassafras tree. And that was widely used as a home remedy in the 19th century, uh, which uh, taken in sufficient doses induces sweating, um, which people at the time thought meant it gave you health benefits. (laughs) You're sweating out all the bad stuff. Um, Zasparilla then kind of made its debut in the US as as a medicine, as a patent medicine, um, in this easy to form take of, of sassafras as a drink, in much the way that Coca Cola was marketed in 1885 as a remedy for hangovers and headaches and also morphine addiction, um, <laughs> oh, with its with its bonus ingredient of cocaine. <laughs> um, so. Uh, sodas are very popular in the US um, because they also thought that carbonated water had health benefits Uh, but in 1960 the FDA banned the use of sassafras oil in foodstuffs after they found evidence um, that it's actually carcinogenic (laughs) (laughs) the main main constituent saffron is carcinogenic so they, they banned the use of that you actually do get saffron as well in nutmeg and mace and cinnamon, anise, black pepper, sweet basil. But it's in such a low concentration that it is safe, but not quite so much in the sassafras. <laughs> so there you go. I didn't know that about sarsaparilla, that they are completely different drinks of different histories in the US and Mexico, and that the US version was originally made from birch. I wonder if people who buy it regularly and drink it know that. No. No. <laughs> Whoops. I would hazard guess it. No. Nope. Um, do you want some bonus birch facts? I love a bonus birch fact. Okay. So the Ornus birch is the national tree of Sweden. Mm-hmm. Birch sap is a traditional drink in Northern Europe, as I've demonstrated by what they're producing, but also in Russia and Northern China. Uh, the sap is bottled and sold commercially, and it can be used to make birch syrup, which is used in the same way as maple syrup on pancakes and waffles and things like that. But we tend not to have that in this country because we've got sweeter tastes, so go for the maple one, I suppose. 
Um, birches have, uh, there are different species of the birch, so you could get the silver birch, otherwise known as Betula pendula. Wow, yeah. Which I thought you would enjoy. Betula so pendula. P- picked that one out specifically, and the next one I also think you'd enjoy is the downy birch, otherwise known as Betula pubescence. <laughs> yeah. For obvious reasons. Uh, and those are actually the most common native trees in Scotland as well. So I didn't really see any birch spirits jumping out at me from Scotland, which is surprising given that they have so many and all the other countries that have them do. Mm. But maybe I just sort of missed it. Uh, Birches are a pioneer species, which means that they can grow on uncolonized land. So they're kind of like one of the first flora species that would really get an ecosystem going, which is pretty great. Pollen grains released by the birch tree are responsible for 15 to 20% of cases of hay fever in the Northern Hemisphere. They are prime hay fever territory, of which I am one of those people, actually. Snap. Uh, Birch is used as firewood because of its high calorific value per unit unit weight and unit volume. So it burns really well, it doesn't pop, and even when it's frozen or freshly cut, it still burns really well. Uh, The bark burns well um, even when wet because it contains so much oil. And with care, it can be split into very thin sheets that will ignite from even the smallest of sparks. So that's pretty cool. Um, A lot of Native Americans prize the birch for its bark because its lightweight um, and flexibility means that they would strip it from fallen trees and then use it to construct uh, waterproof canoes, lightweight canoes, bowls and also um, shelters like wigwams. Um, Birch bark can be soaked in water and then formed into a cast for a broken arm. And birch bark has been used as paper for centuries as well. So the oldest dated birch bark manuscripts um, are the Gandharan Buddhist texts from approximately the first century CE, which um, originated in Afghanistan. And also, the Roman period Vindolanda tablets, which is the oldest surviving handwritten documents in Britain, were also um, written on birch. Well, well, well. It's, it's a pretty awesome tree, all yeah. in all, I think. It's got lots of uses. It's tasty. It's Big got history. Yeah, well yeah. done, then. Well done, birch. Round of applause for birch. Birch, please. I'm yes, going to have a sip bitch. of my uh, salve and hand over to you for a bit. Um... I'd like to talk about wine as well, please. Mm. Um, Palm wine in particular. Uh, So, spoiler, it's made of the sap of palm trees. (gasps) I would never. (sighs) Uh, So, yes, palm wine is very popular um, in Africa, Caribbean countries, uh, South USA, um, and also South Asian countries as well. Um, So, yeah, it's an alcoholic drink that's made from the sap of a palm tree. Uh, you can collect sap from coconut trees, date trees, or palmyra trees. There's a lot of different options. Um, so once you select your tree, you need to tap for the sap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that could be on a t-shirt. Tap, tap, tap for the sap. Tap for tap sap. For sap. We'll tap for sap. Yeah, we'll tap for sap. Tap my sap. I think you could probably put it on grinder or something. Tap for sap. I have. Oh, all right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so if you do want to tap for sap, you will need a couple of bits and bobs, um, a cutlass, okay, a knife, 
uh, a jerry can, mm-hmm. a ladder, and some rope. I think I've got all those things in the cupboard if you want to nip down the park. I've got them all in the book of my car, mate. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's not for tapping. <laughs> so, um, once you've got that lot together, you will need to find a tree. Uh, climb to the top of the palm tree. That's when your rope comes in. It's just there to stop you from killing yourself. So you tie the rope to the palm tree and then tightly around your waist. So mm-hmm. if you do slip, you will just kind of squeeze yourself to death rather than fall to your death, I guess. Hmm, like a death hug. <laughs> death hug. <laughs> um, so yes, climb to the top, attach the rope. Uh, then you're going to use your cutlass and knife to cut some of the palm branches to expose the tissue. Mm-hmm. Then you use your knife to create a hole in said tissue. Um, that's when you will insert a hollow piece of bamboo or an empty pipe, which will direct the sap into your jerry can. So you'll also need to tie up your jerry can because although the sap does flow out of the palm tree, it's not a really quick flow. It's going to take uh, quite a while, a good few days. Um, so yeah, just secure your jerry can to the tree underneath your pipe, leave it for a few days, and then you can go and get your palm sap. Um, so your palm sap, when it's collected at first, the initial liquid is just, um, a white liquid that's very, very, very sweet, but it's not alcoholic. You can drink it. It's a refreshing, sweet, uh, liquid. Um, but if you want it to be non-alcoholic, you don't actually need to do a hell of a lot to it because it starts fermenting straight after you've collected due to um, natural yeast in the air. So it'll start fermenting. Within two hours, you'll have a quite nice aromatic wine that's up to 4%. Mm. So it's easy peasy, really, if you want to get some palm wine. I think I do. I think it's just climbing up the trees. Yeah. The I, I like climbing there. I'm a bit of a monkey. Well, I was looking. I found some photos online of people that do it. They've kind of fashioned a ladder it's not like a ladder as you'd imagine because obviously a normal ladder would be too wide to prop up against most like coconut trees yeah um so what they do it look kind of looks like a long plank of wood and they've just like chopped chunks up the sides so you can lean that against and just climb up that yeah gotcha I see you doing that like a little monkey yeah um so yeah two hours and you've got aromatic wine that's up to four percent uh but you can leave it up to a day for a stronger percentage but it's also a lot more sour and acidic mm-hmm. and it depends on your flavors um there are some pesky animals that uh, enjoy the fermented palm wine oh yeah so you've got the pentail tree shoe so they will uh drink sap that's up to about 3.8 percent they don't really give two dams about it being alcoholic but sounds like they're absolute lads because it just doesn't affect them they don't get drunk ah uh, nice they've, they've adapted a very quick metabolism and mm-hmm. they can just drink that stuff up but bats in particular mega bats <sighs> they're very naughty they tend to find the containers collecting the sap that's been there for a few days and is fermented already and um they will drink up the sap and then also wee in the buckets. Oh no! Yeah, bat wee wine. So bat wee wine. Yeah. Is that Batman's true origin story? Uh, it might be. Mm, I think it is. But there is a particular virus that is spread through that through drinking um, the bat piss palm wine. Yeah. So maybe, maybe don't. Maybe don't. Maybe don't. Maybe don't. Um, but you can do other things with palm wine other than drink it or pee in it. 
Um, in Nigeria, there's a very popular local gin distilled from palm wine. Uh, it's called Ogogoro. Um, it's very popular in uh, Nigeria, actually. They say that its produ production and consumption is equivalent to brew industries. It's a lot of people's favourite drink. Mm -hmm. um, it's used in lots of religious ceremonies, social ceremonies. So it carries cultural and economic uh, significance. So how do you make your Ogogoro out of palm wine? So your fresh palm wine will be left in a large drum for about a week to ferment. Um, that drum is sealed with a thick piece of nylon to just keep it in a cool environment, but it also stops bacteria from forming. Mm -hmm. uh, after a week, uh, it's ready to heat, but it's got to be mixed first because it's pretty thick after fermenting for that amount of time. So you'll get two drums and a small container and a paddle, and you'll use the paddle to stir that thick palm wine. Um, and you'll use the little container just to transfer it between the two as it's uh, to being mixed. Yes. It's like a thick red-brown sludge at this point. Mm -hmm. It's not particularly tasty. <laughs> <laughs> Once you've mixed it, uh, the metal drums will be put on top of a burning fireplace to heat them up. Uh, you'll have metal pipes attached to the drums that will then run the liquid that's coming out of those through a big wooden container that's filled with water to cool it as it's coming down so we've watched a lot of that program the moonshine program yeah so it's like a backyard version of this essentially mm -hmm. uh so yeah you've got your big wooden cooling container filled with water um the pipes kind of take it from the drums over the fire through the cooling and then it's collected in a big plastic container and that's your ogo goro distilled palm Wine. I'd like to try some, please. Gin. Mm. It's really popular in Africa, as I said. Um, so it's it's produced and consumed a lot. But I think from what I've gathered, because it's so easy to make, a lot of people make it themselves as well. It's a great way of extra income as well, because it's, you know, you don't, mm -hmm. other than the equipment, you don't really need to buy anything. Um, and there's like little shacks on the side of the road in Africa that use like a, a jerry can to indicate if they've got palm wine or ogogoro for sale so mm -hmm. i think i'd still be a bit worried about the whole bat wee issue mm. but um yeah maybe pasteurize it yeah but yeah that's me on palm wine and palm wine gin thank you can i have my sap refilled please me Is that all sapped out you can. yeah yeah you can oh. do it i believe in you Yes. Um, I thought I'd just do a couple of little reminders of... Yes. I'm not going to ask you questions, don't Good. worry. You, the look of horror you just gave me of <laughs> you're about to say something we've already talked about, are you going to quiz me? Is no. it Mesopotamia? The quiz was only... Yeah, the, the, remember the answer is always Mesopotamia. Um, no, I thought I'd do a quick reminder because we did a whole episode on agave um, mm. a while back and obviously that is a sap as well. Mm. Um the agave americana and other species of agave are used in Mexico and Mesoamerica to produce pulque, first of all, which is um, kind of like the beer version of using agave. It's a, it's a fermented um, drink. But then the flower shoot is cut out 
and the sap collects it kind of where it's been in it's been cut and it can ferment there almost naturally as some polke but you can then also distill it into a spirit called mezcal and one of one form of which the best known version of mezcal is tequila mm. So I thought as you a reminder that we have talked extensively about agave before, so I won't do it again here. But if you're one, if you're a, if you're a massive sap fan, and you felt like we were slighting the agave by not talking about it, just go back and listen to that episode. Yes. The other thing that I thought was sort of adjacent uh, that we might want a reminder of is um, mastic, or mastica, uh, which is a liqueur seasoned with mastic with a slightly pine or cedar-like flavour gathered from the mastic tree which is a small evergreen tree native to the mediterranean region and i think we might have mentioned versions of this a couple of times certainly when we've been talking about greece because mastic has been harvested for at least two and a half thousand years uh, since greek antiquity and the first mention of actual mastic tears because they look like uh, little tears was by hippocrates and Hippocrates used mastic for the prevention of digestive problems, colds, as a breath freshener. And Roman emperors used to use mastic along with honey and pepper and egg in the spiced wine Conditum Paradoxum, which means surprise spiced wine. Mm-hmm. Personally, I never want to drink that has the word surprise in it. Yeah. Because it could be bat piss. It could be. It probably is. It, it might very well be bat piss. So I would say caution drinking anything that has the word surprise in it. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to mention that because of the flavours and because it comes from trees, but actually mastic is not a sap, it's a resin, ah. and they are different. So a tree uses sap in two ways, so they either pull sap from the water in the soil and transport it up through its trunk, and then they send it out through um, the pores in the leaves, which are known as stomata, and that's called the xylem, that's the xylem flow of sap. Or sap flows down um, off of the leaves towards the roots and any other parts of the tree that need um, sugars that the tree has synthesized in its leaves during photosynthesis. And that's the phloem. So that's the phloem sap that has all the sugars and kind of nutrients and stuff in. Uh, Tree resin, on the other hand, is it's thicker, it's tackier. Not in terms of its taste, it's like sticky. Um, <laughs> some tacky taste um, and it's darker than tree sap as well so deciduous trees do not make resin it's only produced by trees that belong to the Pinacea family such as pine and fir and cedar and then resin forms in the outer cells of the trees um, and the uh, where the phloem is and if you make a cut into a resin-producing tree um, and see the resin oozing out of the bark, the resin works like a scab, essentially. So it closes up the wounds of the trees and protects it from the outer elements while it heals. Smart. So they are different things. I think sometimes people think they're sort of the same thing, mm-hmm. like resin is hard and sap, but actually they're, they're different. Um, that was it, really. Just a bit of clarification around sap and uh, <laughs> a couple of reminders of previous episodes you might want to listen yeah. to if you feel slighted by know their exclusion. Sense. Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk about black walnut trees, if possible. Yeah, sure. Um, I found a very wholesome blog online of a lady out in America that just shares her family recipes and gardening and just nice wholesome content. Mm-hmm. And she had a couple of articles in there about black walnut trees that she'd um, 
it's quite nice actually she had them in her garden she didn't realize um and it wasn't until she'd been around to her friends and her friend had given her this drink um that was made using the sap from a black walnut tree she was like oh this is really delicious mm-hmm. and then um her friend was showing her the trees and everything and then she was like oh my god i've got these in my garden so for the last few years she's been tapping her walnut trees to make her own so she was just explaining how she does it in the process it was quite interesting so um she said that the walnut trees need to be at least 14 inches in diameter in order to tap them mm-hmm. and it's very simple just drill a hole um put a tapping spout in there and a bucket underneath uh condition wise the ideal conditions for tapping is a bit of a combination you need a series of cold nights followed by warm days so it's normally kind of coming into spring again mm-hmm. when it's still maybe a bit frosty in the mornings but warms up, etc. Um, so yeah, the sap that comes out is very clear and very, very cold. Um, it's got a hint of sweetness, um, but a very nutty flavour. So unlike this birch sap that we're drinking, you could, it's more of a fruity kind of citrusy flavour that we've got yeah. from the birch sap. But this one is a very nutty flavour, I'm guessing walnut tree. That's mm-hmm, why. mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this lady likes to drink it as it comes out of the tree, as it's nice and cool and with a hint of sweetness. Um, but there are other options. She said she, um, adds it to fruit juice. Um, she sometimes puts it in her soda stream and carbonates it and has a carbonated sap drink. Um, it's full of good stuff and nutrients. So she also adds it, uh, to smoothies. Uh, you can also boil it to make a tea. Mm. Or you can boil it right down to concentrate the sugar content and make a syrup out of it. Um, So similar ratios to, she said, to making maple syrup. As if, you know, you just know off the top of the head (laughs) to make maple syrup. But it is actually um, 40 to 1 is the ratios of how much sap you'd need in order to make Mm -hmm. um, syrup. Uh, The syrup is intensely sweet. Um... And the flavour, again, is very different to maple syrup because it's quite nutty. It's earthy and nutty, but she does use it on pancakes and things as you would with maple. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, black walnut trees, if you've got any, tap them up. Tap them. Mm. Um, that sounds delicious. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? The more I was, um, you know, kind of like doing research for this episode and reading about it, I was like, man, we need to exploit more of these things <laughs> if they're sustainable they all sound delicious yeah. i don't see enough of them around yeah i did actually when i was doing my research i saw the sap drinks that you said the ones called sap yeah um and i noticed they were made with birch sap so i thought oh i won't research them because <laughs> doing birch. but um yeah. yeah i did want them i made a mental note of must order and drink and maple as well which i'm now going to talk about as mm, promised can't do sap without talking about maple because okay. it's probably the biggest one i would say yes in the sap world is the it is the emperor um so i thought i'd mention maple liqueur to mm. start with it is commonly made by mixing canadian rye whiskey and canadian maple syrup i mean you know it doesn't have to be canadian but obviously it does because it's maple <laughs> um you know ma- maple is an important cultural um syrup but also a, a beverage in canadian festivals it's usually made at home though because it is just mixing whiskey and maple syrup really so people just tend to like make their own versions of it it's equal parts uh, rye whiskey and maple syrup uh, that they put in a mason jar and just mix it thoroughly and then leave it to sit in the refrigerator for a couple of weeks 
Um, although you can buy ready-made ones from Sortilège and Crown Royal, so you can buy maple whiskies from them as well. It's just that Canadians tend to do their own. Uh, in total, Canada produces 71% of the world's pure maple syrup, and 91% of that is produced in Quebec. Um, it was refined as an industry, the maple syrup industry, by settlers. But the harvesting of maple syrup actually does go back to the indigenous populations around there. So the Algonquians recognised that maple sap as a source of energy and nutrition was a really good thing to be harvesting. Uh, so at the beginning of the spring thaw, they would make V-shaped incisions in the tree trunks, and then they would put in reeds or concave pieces of bark to run the sap into clay buckets or even tightly woven birch bark baskets, hmm. which is hard to say. But I was like, <laughs> oh, maple and birch together again. Um, the maple sap is then concentrated by leaving it exposed to the cold temperatures overnight. And then what they do is they dispose of the layer of ice that forms on top. And they might do that a few times. So rather than kind of like boiling it down, they freeze it instead and dispose of the water, yeah. which is very clever. Um, and then following that, the sap would be transported by sled to uh, large fires where it then gets boiled down in clay pots to produce more concentrated syrup. Um, I mean, you mentioned the tapping process. Europeans introduced tapping. You know, what the Algonquins were doing was not dissimilar, obviously, but they had their own version. Uh, maples are usually tapped when they are 30 to 40 years of age for the first time. And each tree can support um, up to three taps, depending on its trunk diameter. So the average maple tree produces 35 to 50 litres of sap per season. But as you say, you need to reduce quite a lot of that mm -hmm. in order to get the syrup yeah. that we'd be used to. Um, so during the day, the starch is stored in the roots uh, for the winter, and then it rises through the trunk as that sugary sap, uh, allowing it to be tapped. Sap is not tapped at night because the temperature drop inhibits the sap flow, um, although taps are typically kind of left in place overnight for them to drain. Uh, some producers also tap in the autumn as well, although it's less common than spring tapping. And maples can continue to be tapped for sap until they are over 100 years old. Which they, point the sap dries up. Small? Do they kind of produce more as they grow and get bigger? Or is it just oh, standard? Yeah. yeah, they would. Hmm. Yeah, until they get old and it starts to wither again. Dry up. Just like people. <laughs> just like people. My sap is drying. Um, <laughs> oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Um, maple syrup is produced on a small scale in other countries as well, though it's not just Canada. Um, quite notably, Japan and South Korea. Uh, in South Korea in particular, it's traditional to consume maple sap rather than processing it into, processing it into syrup. Mm -hmm. So they just uh, drink the sap in a, a drink they called goroso. Um, in fact, I found generally in Asia, actually, the trend was more to drink the sap than turn things into syrups, mm -hmm. just because it's a nutritious thing to do. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd tell you about a drink you can make called the waffler which I like very much. It's um, apparently a favourite drink at, uh, in Massachusetts, Mass Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts. Uh, it's a teaspoon of maple syrup that coats the sides of the glass. Okay. And then maple liqueur is added in. So the, the whiskey and maple syrup that you've you know, had in the fridge for a couple of weeks. And then some Bailey's Irish cream is added in a shot glass um, at, on top of that. So if it's done properly, the... Irish cream forms a layer, forms a layer on top, uh, similar to other shooters like the buttery nipple. Yes, 
buttery nip. <laughs> yeah. So it's that basically intensely sweet. Yes, very much so. Mm. Lots of syrup and Bailey's and some whiskey and stuff, but I bet it's quite nice as a dessert shot. Mm. Uh, also the uh, the Negus, which is a warm cocktail made of three shots of port, one shot of lemon juice, a shot of maple liqueur, topped with hot water, garnished with nutmeg, and then you have it essentially like a toddy, like a hot toddy. That's an interesting mix: port and lemon. Port, lemon, whiskey, maple, hot water, a bit of nutmeg. I don't understand the lemon. No? But just Why? a bit of acid, a bit of acid flavour. Can we make it? Because so it's kind of, it's just like a hot toddy. You put, you know, you put whiskey and lemon in uh... Have you got all of those things? Mm, I do, actually. Oh, should we try it? Okay, I might try it later, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then a maple cream ale, I thought I would mention as well, which uh, is um, maple liqueur... Cream ale soda, ice topped with a sprig of mint. Yeah, that sounds good. So kind of like a, I suppose it's kind of like in root beer float territory, but a bit mm. boozier. Mm-hmm. I'm in. Um, I wanted to close by telling you a story that I don't know if you're familiar with. I've certainly heard it before. I'm topping up, sorry. No, it's okay. You go ahead. It's nice. It's a nice sound. <laughs> um, so are you aware that Canada has these big reserves of maple syrup? I did not. They have like secret underground facilities where they store enormous amounts of maple syrup and that's so they can control the market, you know, the market value in much the way that people do with diamonds or whatever, <laughs> you know. That's madness. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it really is. But it's worth a lot of money to them. Imagine swimming in it. <laughs> yeah. So they've got this, it, it's, it is basically their equivalent of having like gold in their bank or, yeah. or diamonds or whatever and they're, they're trying to control the economy through that so it's very important and very um lucrative now in 1966 a group of maple syrup producers in quebec participated in a joint plan to um collectively market this maple syrup um this this is kind of like how it all came about um so there was this larger agreement across all quebec which then became known as the federation of quebec maple syrup syrup producers and i feel like you don't want to mess with them you know Absolutely not. you They're become like you might come to a sticky end oh, oh sorry <laughs> i just had to, i had to build up to that um so they've got this strategic reserve of maple syrup um n- known as the international strategic reserve um <laughs> across multiple warehouses in rural quebec towns so over the course of several months between 2011 and 2012 we are at now uh, the contents of 9,571 barrels valued at 18.7 million Canadian dollars were stolen in a suspected insider job Amazing. from yeah from this federation. Maple syrup heist. The syrup was stored in unmarked white metal barrels that were only inspected once a year. And the thieves used trucks to transport barrels to a remote sugar shack where they siphoned off the maple syrup and refilled the barrels with water and then returned them to the facility. So as this progressed, the thieves started siphoning syrup directly off barrels into the reserve without refilling them. And the, so- the stolen syrup was trucked to Vermont, which seems like they've got massive beef with, um, with Canada. So the syrup was taken to Vermont and also uh, to the east, to New Brunswick, 
where it was trafficked into smaller batches to reduce suspicion. I was going to say, it's pretty much too hot to handle a massive yeah. vat of maple syrup. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it was typically sold to legitimate syrup distributors who weren't aware of the origin oh. of it. Because they were taken out of Canada, going to other places where it was sold, and then managing to sell it on to other distributors. Smart. It was, to be honest, it's all a very clever plan. Genius. If only they hadn't have gotten lazy with refilling the barrels, yeah. I think they could have done more. Um... In July 2012, uh, the FPAQ took its annual inventory of syrup barrels and Inspector Michel Gavreau started climbing up the barrels. Exactly. Climbed up the barrels and he, he nearly kind of like fell to his death. He was expecting a 600 pound barrel, but they were empty. So he just kind of like fell with him. Police later recovered hundreds of barrels of syrup from an exporter based in Kedgewick in New Brunswick. And then in December 2012, police arrested 17 men relating related to the theft. 17. The accused ringleader, Richard Vallier, um, was sentenced in April 2017 to eight years in prison plus a 9.4 million Canadian dollar fine. And that would be extended to 14 years if he didn't pay the fine. Well, I doubt he's got that much kicking out. Yeah, exactly. Um, Later, the the Quebec Court of Appeal ruled that that was a bit excessive. And they lowered the fine to a million dollars. But the Supreme Court, since then, has reversed that decision and they've reinstated the original fine. Wow. So he's pretty screwed. <laughs> so he's probably still serving time right now. Yeah, he is. He's, he is currently in prison for stealing maple syrup on an enormous scale. Do you think he eats maple syrup or he just can't even look at the stuff? I, th- I don't think he'd be able to, would you? No. I think it would be very triggering. <laughs> I don't think he can even look at pancakes. <laughs> There you go. I mean, that's that's if it doesn't exist already, that's going to make a great film one day, isn't it? The yeah. Maple Heist. Oh my God! Should we pitch it to Netflix? I'm pretty sure someone's already on it. Yeah. <laughs> They've got every crime, heist, murder True. series in the works. There's nothing that hasn't been. If you want to get a series on Netflix, you actually have to commit a crime. Like that is <laughs> the best way to do it now. We just go out and commit some murders, and then we can get our series. Uh, should we go and do that now? Uh, the murder or the hot drink? Either. Down for either, really. Do the drink first. Okay. So our glasses have run dry, uh, which means it's time to get in the sauna and slap each other with some birch. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Bye. <laughs> I'm just going to turn the shower on really hot. I'm going to sit in the bathroom and just sweat it out. <laughs> do some do some sassafras. I was going to say, I couldn't remember the name of it though. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, good. Good work. Well done, us. <laughs>